Tuesday, July 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in the studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, we got a big day. We got a big lot day. going on. Big day. Earnings Palooza continues. We've got earnings from Altria, Baidu, and Under Armour. We have three companies that failed a drug test. We're going to start with AT&T. Uh, headline of the day, kudos to the people at the Associated Press, the headline for AT&T, AT&T smartphone sales fall, boosting profit. That's not a typo. Uh, AT&T said that its declining smartphone sales in the second quarter led to record profits in the wireless division as the company saved on phone subsidies. Um, normally, Joe Mager, I don't think of falling sales as being no. a good thing, but yet... That's certainly the case here. Yeah, well, the carriers have a razor razor blade model. So they're basically selling you a phone that they're subsidizing. So, for example, you buy a new iPhone. AT&T pays a lot of money to Apple so that you can buy that phone for 200 bucks and get that cheap price. In actuality, the phone costs about three, three times as much, but AT&T is eating that. Now, they do that because once they bring you in, then they can make a lot of money off of you over a period of years after that. So it actually, it's kind of counterintuitive for sure. They would rather be selling a lot more of these today and having short-term hits to be generating long-term value. I was going to say, what is there a happy medium here for, for AT&T? I mean, record profits are nice, but ultimately, at some point, don't they need to be just selling more and more devices? Charlie, what do you think? Uh, yes, they do, Chris. And I think there is a little bit of a slowdown heading into the launch of iPhone 5, which hasn't officially been announced yet, but everybody knows it's coming. Yep. And I think people like my wife, who has an iPhone 3, are waiting. There is going to be a pent-up demand, and uh, AT&T will be standing right there, happy to sell them. You're saving your pen for for when you're going to buy your wife an iPhone 5? It's a foregone <laughs> conclusion, Chris. Um, what do you think, Jason? I think it's an interesting uh, disparity here between the phones that we get in the States here and then something, if you look at China, for example, I know iPhones are, are really... Uh, Hitting, hitting on all cylinders over there as well. But the replacement cycle here is such that we can, we can upgrade whenever we want because of those subsidies. And so when you look at something like China, for example, where those subsidies don't necessarily exist, and you know, not to mention the fact that they don't really have the same uh, – they don't, they don't really make as much money over there as we do. So a phone is a little bit more expensive uh, for them over there. So the, the replacement cycle is a lot longer. So I think that when you look at Apple and you hear people talking about the growth overseas in places like China, you have to remember that that also exists there. The upgrade cycle is not going to be the same. And then, you know, one other thing to think about here from the perspective of the carriers is you, we've heard the rumors of Amazon potentially offering a smartphone as yep. well, which is odd to think about because why would they want to jump into this space? It seems like it's already pretty much ruled. But Amazon's considering at least the possibility of subsidizing their phone through ads or sales on Amazon so that they would be free of having to get into the contracts with the carriers to begin with. So not that that will happen or will be successful, but it's out there. It's interesting to see if that's a direction that we'd be able to take this. It, it would certainly, I think, take some of the the power out of the carrier's hands at this point. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Joe, when it comes to the carriers, um, and you can go carriers writ large, or you can get specific on AT&T if you want, but where do you think they're going? Because we've seen the business model change for these companies over the last decade or so. To put it mildly. To put it mildly, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we talked recently about Verizon and how Verizon – you know, if you get a new contract with Verizon now, voice and you get unlimited voice and text, and that's baked into whatever the deal is. Whereas once upon a time, 
the, the cost of your plan would change depending on long distance, depending on how many text messages you use. Now that's just that's just assumed you're going to be doing that. Where do you see all this going for the carriers over the next couple of years? I think they're going to keep shifting their fee structure more towards what people are actually using. So we've seen this with AT&T and Verizon, where they're starting to focus more on charging you for data instead of charging you for phone minutes. I'm sure I speak for all of us. I don't use my phone all that much. I have like something like two years' worth of rollover minutes at AT&T. You don't use it all that much for calling. Right, right. But I obsessively check in during (laughs) meetings, uh, dinners with my wife. It's really obnoxious, but just checking data all the time. And they're trying to move their cost structure towards that because that's what's really – uh, biting these guys right now is especially the huge ramping up of uh, mobile web or I'm sorry mobile video people mm-hmm. just watching YouTube videos on their phones watching Netflix and that is really drilling these guys because you know AT&T Verizon they're the ones paying for the bandwidth the pipes that all this is going through. Uh, there's a new report from the World Bank that says that whereas in 2000 there were less than a billion mobile subscriptions. Today, there are more than 6 billion. And the report says that pretty soon we're going to get to a point where there are more mobile subscriptions than there are people on the planet. So with that in mind, and when you consider all of the companies in play, not just the carriers, but the you know the uh, the people dealing with components like Qualcomm and Corning, and certainly the you know the apples of the world. Over the next five years, what's what's a mobile company, uh, a mobile stock that you think is is going to do well over the next five years? Yeah, I really like Qualcomm. I'd steer clear of the hardware makers, and I know everybody here loves Apple, other than me. But you know, I think you're going to see hardware prices continue to fall. There's just going to be a race to the bottom there on price, just like we saw with PCs. The real value is the people who own IP or can monetize what's going through that. In Qualcomm's case, they have a vast treasure trove of IP and patents related to 3G and 4G. So they make money on every phone sold, whether it's an Apple phone or a Google-backed phone. Jason? Yeah, I think Joe's right on the hardware thing. And you can just see from Amazon's initial Kindle Fire to now with the Google Nexus tablet coming out and you know the, the new iterations of the Amazon Kindle tablet coming out, the, the cost for building those tablets are just coming down very fast. Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm very bullish on mobile search in general. I think Google is a great way to look at this because I think that mobile search is still in the nascent stages of, of where it's going to go. Uh, you know, given it sounds like we're going to have mobile devices for every man, woman, and child, I probably ought to set up and a couple pets. lines and for my dog. dogs. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, I think search is a way to play that, and Google's a uh, top notch there. Charlie, I think we're going to see the low cost Chinese manufacturers rise up the value chain and go global in a classic innovators dilemma kind of way where they dominate the low end because the high end manufacturers cede it to them and then they just add more and more features over time and increase profitable. So companies like Huawei, for example, uh, we're going to see more of that in the States. Shares of Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and Elan are all down today. The three drug companies have been working together on an experimental treatment for Alzheimer's disease, and the treatment failed its first large clinical trial. Uh, Charlie, uh, as someone who owns both Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson, uh, I can say they're only down slightly, maybe 1% or 2%. Elan, however, down more than 14% this morning. Um, what do you think of this story? Because I, I know you, you look at the, the biotech space. This wasn't really a surprise, I guess, was it? 
I, I would equate it to somebody coming out of high school with a C grade point average going to college and not being successful, meaning it's just not a surprise uh, because the phase two trial results were not all that impressive, but they proceeded to the phase three trials anyways, which is the final proof of concept required to get FDA approval. Yep. And Alzheimer's disease is notoriously difficult to develop drugs for. It's been almost a decade since the last drug was approved by the FDA. There's only five in total approved for a disease that affects over 5 million Americans. Uh, so it's a very high bar to get approved uh, in this disease. And it's really not surprising that this drug didn't work, even as unfortunate as that is. Do you think that was an overreaction, the, the fact that Elan was down that much? Or is this a situation where they've got the most to gain from a breakthrough in terms of a treatment, therefore they've got the most to lose. Well, in comparison to Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson, which are companies with broad product portfolios and right. tens of billions in revenue, Elan is a much smaller company, uh, and they have is a, a more direct play. Uh, they had a 25% interest in this drug, and its impact, success, or failure was much greater to them than it was to the other two companies. Um, do you like the stock now that it's been knocked down 14 15%, or is there another in the biotech pharma space that you think is uh, of more interest? Well, so I wouldn't recommend necessarily people diving in to look for Alzheimer's plays just because of how difficult this is, but somebody uh, willing to do that, Alan has a world-class drug pipeline behind this bapanuzumab drug. Uh, so they, they're doing some great R&D here, uh, and it is a stock to keep an eye on. Thank you for actually pronouncing the name of the drug. I, I conspicuously avoided actually trying to pronounce the drug <laughs> name. Altria Group's second quarter profits nearly tripled, uh, and yet the stock is basically flat today. Uh, Charlie, for, for people who may have short memories, this is obviously the company that once upon a time was Philip Morris. This is separate from Philip Morris International, um, but uh, nearly tripled the profits, uh, I guess, a whole lot of people are still doing a whole lot of smoking. More than you would think, Chris. And it is important to know that Altria has the domestic rights to Marlboro. Uh, Philip Morse International has the overseas rights. Uh, and it's, you know, despite cigarette smoking being in a long-term secular decline, uh, Marlboro uh, case volumes are down 2% year-to-date, which is consistent with how it's done over the last decade. Uh, but with pricing power, which is the key to this kind of business where there's brand loyalty, yep. uh, People who are addicted to the product, frankly, uh, you know, they can price faster than the volumes of these cartons are declining, and the profits uh, just keep going up year after year, which is very counterintuitive given the smoking trend. Um, Joe, this is a stock that there are people who just don't want to own it simply because they're anti-smoking, and yet if you're someone who loves dividend stocks, this is... Well, there's no play on tobacco. There's no <laughs> so play tobacco on... tobacco is the next best thing. Uh, this is one of the all-time greats in terms of uh, dividend stocks over the last 50 years or so. It really is. If you'd bought Philip Morris a few decades ago, you'd be a very rich man. You might feel guilty or about your wealth <laughs> or a woman, but you'd be very rich, and that could probably buy you a good bit of happiness. Uh, <laughs> the stock has done incredibly well for a basic reason, which is people use their products every day, and they can't shake them, and there's a lot of pricing power that goes with that. People are very brand loyal as smokers, and you know, tragic as that is, it's been a very good business selling it, and even though so many people are aware of the risk with smoking, I mean, it's no secret at this point, if you start smoking, uh, well, anyway, we'll save that speech for a different day. <laughs> for another time. Yeah, and U.S. smoking... 
is falling. Number of smokers is falling about three percent a year. So obviously they're you know kind of facing a tough time. And what they've done at Altria, particularly, is move away from cigarettes into chewable tobacco, and it's treating them very well. I mean, the three X gain on earnings is a little bit misleading, just like old school tobacco advertising. Uh, it's not actually all that great because a year ago uh, they got hit by a big charge and that was a one-time thing. But it was still great numbers overall. And I think they're probably going to keep putting up very solid ones just like they have. And Charlie, I hear what you're saying about the pricing power. But when you look at the top five countries in terms of cigarettes consumed per adult per year, here are the top five. Greece, Slovenia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and the Czech Republic. Those are not enormous countries. And uh, pricing power aside, at some point, if you're buying this stock, I'm looking to hold it for a long time, don't you have to have more people smoking five and ten years from now than you have today? You would imagine there is some price sensitivity around smoking. Like in a place like New York, I think you're paying $10 a pack. Right. And it's, I mean, that's just crazy. And to go through a pack a day, that's a lot of money. But people are still doing it, and I can't explain it. So I think at least for the near term, Altria is fine. If, let's just go around the table real quick. 20 years from now? Is this, is this a stock, if you had to hold it for 20 years, would you feel comfortable doing that in terms of the payoff? I'm not talking about mm-hmm. the moral implications of owning a stock like this. I'm saying you think 20 years from now, there's still going to be enough people smoking, there's still going to be the pricing power, that this is a stock that's going to pay off for me. I do. I think most people realize that smoking's bad for you, but there will always be a base level of smokers. Jason, do you think so? 20 years? I agree there will be a base level of smokers, but I don't think 20 years is the timeline I would feel comfortable with. 10 years? 10 years, yes. Okay, not 20. Joe, what about you? I'd agree with Jason. A company that's systematically selling unhealthy products to its customer base obviously can't be super successful over a very long time horizon. Charlie, what's the number for you? At what point do you think this this is going to hold up? Is it 30 years? Probably 30. 30? Yeah. All right. Hopefully, we'll all be here. In I hope you're years. wrong. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong too. Baidu's second quarter revenue up 60%, and not surprisingly, shares up around 10% this morning. Joe, what happened to the uh, the China slowdown that we were hearing about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What happened there? Well, Baidu's selling at about 30 times earnings, and it grew sales about double that. Anytime you can pull off that feat, normally things go well for your stock price. Uh, it's not rocket science. You know, in Baidu's case, they are gaining market share as Google stepped out. And as we've talked about on the show, you know, search is a natural monopoly where once you get out in front, you process more searches than anyone else, which makes your search even better. So you get even more people. And because of that, I think they're going to be able to hang on to their lead in China in the same way that Google can hang on in the U.S. And really, the big story with China is not just they're gaining share, but you know, long-term internet adoption. Uh, internet adoption rates in China are about 38%. It's 78 in the U.S. For China to get to where the U.S. is would take another 500 million people using the internet in China. So that's just to put that into scale, you know, compare that to the U.S. population, and suddenly you can really get a feel for the massive opportunity ahead of Baidu, especially for a stock that's selling at 30 times earnings. But I think the obvious question is, why is it so cheap? And that's just because Americans think every Chinese company is shady and cooking the books right now. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, China's kind of a four-letter word right now. But I do think that one of the things that Baidu can really look forward to is, is again, back to the mobile trend, uh, the mobile theme of the day. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, mistakenly believe that 
mobile search is going to be more or less competing with desktop search. And the fact of the matter is that even Baidu and Google even made note of this on, on their uh, earnings calls, that, that mobile is essentially incremental to desktop search. In, in other words, it's adding to it. It's not taking away from it. And so I think that with the, the long road ahead that mobile has, there's still plenty of growth left there. And so Baidu not only has control of the desktop search market, but when you look at mobile in, in the future that it has, there's, there's still a lot of optimism there for something like Baidu, especially as the leader in, in the Chinese market that otherwise most people are very skeptical of. Ironically, on the Android platform. <laughs> uh, let's close out on the stock because uh, even when you factor in the pop that the Baidu shares have today, shares of Baidu are, are down around 25% over the last year. Uh, what do you think of the valuation of this stock? I mean, you, even with the, the 30 times earnings, is this still is this the Joe Mager value play or is it uh, not quite in that territory. Yeah, I think if I was going to buy a Chinese stock today, this would be the one to do it. They rule this growing niche. I think their competitive position is very strong. I don't see any real changes. You know, even if the Chinese economy stumbles really badly, internet adoption has still got a long growth runway there, and Baidu is the one who's best positioned to take advantage. Shares of Under Armour up more than 11% this morning after earnings came in better than expected. Jason Moser, this is a, a stock you follow. I think this is a stock advisor rec. No, Hidden gems. Hidden gems. gems. And, and rule breakers. Rule breaker, yeah. okay. yes. It's a rec a couple of times. It's one that we're kicking over. around all over the universe here. Uh, what's the story for Under Armour? Well, I think a lot of good things. It was a fourth uh, straight quarter. They've beat expectations, and they upped guidance for the rest of the year. So I think the market's very happy about that. Uh, I think footwear is the story of the day, really, because their bread and butter and clothing and accessories performed well, but footwear saw over 40% growth. And ultimately, what that means is they're doing something right there. I think that's been the question that's, that's sort of been lingering out there for a lot, of, a lot of people for a while now is, you know, will Under Armour be able to pull off something in footwear? That's always been their Achilles heel for... Lack of a better uh, description. Had to go there. But uh, it seems that they are doing something right there in footwear. And so, ironically, because of the product mix and selling more footwear, their gross margin took a little bit of a hit. Uh, but that said, they are growing their revenue faster than they are growing their inventory. And they see that trend continuing for the rest of the year, which I think has got the market feeling really good about it today. I was going to say, Nike's profit, their latest profit came in lower than expected. Is that a concern for you that, you know, despite the pop and despite the, the, the good top line numbers, for Under Armour, you've got profits and margins well, and that's the bet with Under Armour. I mean, you're, you you have a company here with the brand. It's tremendous. It's it's just a very powerful brand, and it's doing well. Plank is doing a wonderful job, really, uh, growing the business. But they're in that position right now where they have to take this risk. Um, you know, Charlie and I were talking about this earlier. If they get stuck in a in you know a recession situation where inventory levels are are too high, then they have to start basically giving stuff away more or less or writing it off. And you see that gross margin really take a hit, and then this stock would really get. Pounded, but uh, Jason's very charitable towards Under Armour here. This is a company that's a textbook quality of earnings problem. Uh, year after year, their cash flow does not match up to their profits on the balance sheet, and just essentially what that means is a lot of the money they make is going right back into buying more inventory or the receivables or what have you. Uh, and it's just not as rosy a picture as Jason makes it sound like. Though I have, I think they have a phenomenal brand complete respect for Kevin Plank. I think the guy is awesome, uh, but the numbers here do give me pause. 
Joe, what do you think? I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> I will chime in. We have been kicking this around uh, in Motley Fool One as an everlasting portfolio candidate. And the one thing we all did come to agreement on is the stock is way too pricey today. We were kind of hoping that maybe the, t- the stock would take a hit on a gross margin concern or something, and that just wasn't the you case. Know, the, the idea that Under Armour is going to be the next Nike is that they don't run this business anywhere efficiently as Nike does. Nike is a yeah. machine. No, nope, they're two different, two different companies altogether. So let's look ahead to the next quarter or even two quarters ahead. What, what is something to watch on Under Armour's balance sheet that would get you, Charlie, interested to make you think, oh, okay, Kevin Plank actually listens to market foolery. He's taking my Just advice. <laughs> tighten up the supply chain and keep that inventory in check. I do think Under Armour over the next decade is a big winner. Uh, they just have some growing pains. Yep. We are just three days away from the opening ceremonies of the London Olympic Games. And uh, I was looking at a list of all of the events and couldn't help but think, uh, and I didn't think in terms of, oh, I'm really excited for this or that. I, <laughs> I looked at the, all of the events in the Olympics and I thought, I can't believe that we still have equestrian events in the Olympics. And we had talked earlier, Jason, that golf is going to be an Olympic sport in 2016. And I feel like it's time to just start cutting some of the dead weight. Let's just clear some trees. Let's get rid of some of the Olympic events. And my nominee would be the equestrian ones because it's like it's on the horse. It's not on the – like I get that there's a human who has to ride it and all that sort of thing. But we don't have animals in other Olympic events. So And who rides a horse? Why isn't car racing in the Olympics – I'm going to go on a limb. I don't have hard data on this, but I bet a lot more people drive than ride horses. A lot more people. That's that's probably true. Charlie, we'll start with you. You get to cut an Olympic event. Only wow. only one. I know there's, you've got more. There's no more. shortage, Chris. Uh, <laughs> but the one that looks most ridiculous to me, outside of equestrian, which I agree with, is the modern pentathlon. Uh, it's got five events. Pistol shooting, fencing, a 200-meter swim, show jumping, which does come back to horses, and then a whopping three-kilometer run, which anybody can do that (laughs) for the most part. Uh, And I would replace the modern pentathlon with the Ninja Warrior course, which is much more challenging. Oh, that's I like it. I like it. All right. Jason, what are you thinking? Well, I look at... uh golf coming in and I think, well, I guess maybe I should be a little bit more enthusiastic about that. But really, in all honesty, golf is just a game where you can drink beer, play golf and have fun. (laughs) But I look at sailing as pretty much the same thing. Like, what are those guys doing? I mean, they're just sitting on a boat pulling a sail up in the air. The wind's doing the work. They could sit there and drink beer doing that. It's, so, not, like, it's not like rowing. It's not no. like crew. Those, those that's people. Solid. That's solid. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. I, I think get rid of sailing, you know, throw golf in there, add the extra degree of beer drinking uh, to golf, and now you've really got something. <laughs> so you're saying, got something you're saying make out. it a requirement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Joe, what about yeah, you? Yeah, I'm going to double down on equestrian like I was ranting about. And, you know, instead of beer drinking, why don't we just call it fishing? Because that's all <laughs> fishing is anyway. I like, I like it. it. All right. That's good. Joe Mager, Jason Moser, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.